today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's because of his love for us that he has to judge. It's because of the redeemed and his loving kindness that he has to judge the unrighteous for what they perpetrated on the righteous. Not the self-righteous, those that are righteous in Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. If God is so loving and merciful, why does He have to judge mankind in the last days? Perhaps you've heard that question before from non-believers and believers alike. In today's message, Pastor J.D. reflects on the paradox of God's all-loving and merciful nature and His deliverance of justice. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 63 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, so the chapter before us is actually a prophecy again here in Isaiah, and this prophecy is about the second coming of Jesus at the end of the seven-year tribulation. It's very powerful, and it speaks to, very interesting, the day of vengeance from the Lord, while at the same time also speaking to the loving kindness of the Lord. This is what I referred to as the paradox of our Christian faith. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You know what I mean by a paradox, right? An oxymoron. Uh, it's this, this, on one side you have the vengeance of God, the wrath of God, and then on the other side you have the loving kindness of God and the mercy of God, and that's the paradox. And we're going to see that woven into the fabric of this chapter. And really one of the main takeaways for us, as we're about to see, is that of the love and the kindness of the Lord. That's going to come leaping off, at least I hope it does, come leaping off the pages of our Bibles. Because yes, it's the wrath of God, it's the judgment of God, it's the vengeance of God, but it's the wrath of God and the judgment of God and the vengeance of God because of the love of God. You make that connection, right? I know it's, a again, a paradox, but it's because of His love for us that He has to judge. It's because of the redeemed and His loving kindness that he has to judge the unrighteous for what they perpetrated on the righteous. Not the self-righteous, those that are righteous in Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ. And again, we're going to see that here in a moment. But It's verse 9. When we get to verse 9 that I want to spend a little bit of time on because, again, to me it's really the takeaway or one of the many takeaways. 
And it's that the Lord feels our affliction in our affliction. Have you ever thought of it like that? I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, because we're the body of Christ, right? And He's the head. Now, let's bring that into the physical in terms of a comparison. Um, If one part of my body hurts, and I have such a low tolerance to pain, my wife has an incredibly high tolerance to pain. Three of our four children, natural birth. I was in pain for her. (laughs) Certainly I I have a great deal of renewed respect for her, watching her in childbirth when our children were born. Oh, it was so painful for me. (laughs) But I mean, she has a high tolerance for pain. I get a hangnail, I'm praying in my prayer language, oh Lord, you know, oh this is so painful. It's a hangnail. Buck up, buttercup. Anyway, but when one part of my body hurts, my whole body feels it. When I'm hurting somewhere in my body, all of my body, including my head, feels it. That's what this is about. And it again speaks to the loving kindness of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord. The Lord sees, the Lord cares, the Lord hears, and the Lord acts. He doesn't just sit idly by when one of His children is in pain and afflicted. He feels it. He knows it. He sees it. He cares about it. And He will do something about it. So, you ready? Let's jump in. Yeah? I didn't get any kind of an affirmation. Okay, good. All right. Verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? Now, this is uh, speaking... Uh, sort of symbolically of the enemies of Israel, Edom, Basra, which we know today as modern-day Jordan. And I want you to just kind of hang on to something here, and it has to do with the uh, meaning of Basra. The name is the nature, and Basra means grape gathering. So just hang on to that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Answer, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's who. Ah, what a great start to the chapter just right here in verse 1. Again, it's a prophecy, but it's in the form of a question that is asked and then subsequently answered by the Lord Himself, who declares of Himself, it is I. Who? I, who speak in righteousness and, very important, mighty to save. There's that paradox. Mighty to judge but mighty to save. Now, I, you might find more, but I just, here's the list that I came up with. The Lord comes 
in judgment, glory, greatness, strength, righteousness, and is mighty to save. Wow. I mean, okay, I got my question answered. That's who's coming. The Lord's coming. And He is coming in all of His glory. And He's traveling in the greatness of His strength. He's the one who speaks in righteousness and perhaps more importantly, is mighty to save. Mighty to save. Now verse 2. Question number 2. Why is your apparel red, and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? Answer. Verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people's No one was with me. He alone saves. There is no one like unto him. Who is like unto you, O Lord? I alone have done this. I alone am worthy of all of your praise. That's what he's saying there. And here's why. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. That's why. That's why my apparel is red. That's why my garments are like the one who treads in the wine press. You know what the wine press is, right? Back in that day, they would take the grapes to make the wine. You know how they would make the wine, right? They would get in the wine press and they would uh, <laughs> stamp. I'm not drinking that wine. <laughs> I'm not drinking the wine anyway, but I'm surely not going to. That's a deterrent for me. I'm good. I'm good. They're in there with their feet and they're, they're <laughs> smashing those grapes to make the wine. And their garments, their apparel, that which they would wear when they would do it, when they came out of the wine press, I mean they're all red from the wine press. Now Jesus is connecting, and I want you to actually be looking for it, not distracted by it, but at least looking for it. We're going to see the Trinity here. We're going to see very specifically delineated the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this one chapter. Again, woven throughout the fabric of this chapter. Okay, so what's this about? Well, Jesus is likening himself at his second coming to one who has his robe stained and the blood slash grapes are sprinkled upon his garments and that's why they're all red, like the one that would be in the wine press. What if I told you that the book of Revelation, it's believed, is approximately 90 plus percent all verbatim quotes from the Old Testament? Something like 90 some percent of the book of Revelation, you will find it throughout the Old Testament, and such is the case here. And it's Revelation 19. I want to read verses 13 through 15. This is a description 
prophetically of the Lord's return at the second coming, and we're told he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies, verse 14, of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and here it is, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. All right. I want to talk about this more here in just a moment. Verse 4, it gets better. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Stop right there. That's the paradox. Wait, vengeance in your heart? The redeemed (laughs) in your heart? To me, it's almost really one of these paradox of paradoxes in the sense that the vengeance is in his heart vis-a-vis the redeemed of his heart. Why are you meeting out justice and vengeance on them? Because of the redeemed. You see the connection again there? And vengeance belongs to the Lord. Uh, I'll wait. I want to, I really want to talk about it right now, but I'm going to wait. Don't you hate it when somebody says that? Oh, it, uh, I can't tell you. Not yet. Verse 5, I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Okay, now I can talk about it almost. Verse 7. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which He has bestowed on them according to His mercies, according to the multitude. I'm sorry, I'm chuckling, but you almost wonder if, wait, are we still in the same chapter? What happened to the vengeance of the Lord, the wrath of God? I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord. What? Where? What? Did we? Did we skip something here? Or what's going on here? Well, we actually kind of turned a corner of sorts because now this is a prayer. And it comes from one in the face of God's judgment. And they're remembering, in the face of God's judgment, the vengeance of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord, they're remembering the loving kindness of the Lord, and the great goodness of the Lord. Hang on, because this is what I want to spend a little bit of time on. So, verse 8, For he said, Surely they are my people 
children who will not lie. So he became their Savior. This verse 8, children who will not lie, kind of carries with the idea of they will no longer deceive and disappoint the Lord. It's kind of, it's kind of complicated in the Hebrew. Uh, it's that uh, textbook case of it's lost in the translation, as we would say. Well, in the Hebrew, this is a I guess an idiom of sorts where you're disappointed in a tree that provides no fruit. And that's what he's saying of them, that at this time they will no longer be like that tree that disappoints with no fruit. Let's get back to this, uh, again, paradox of the vengeance of God and then the mercies of God. And this prayer that just seems to kind of burst into the the chapter and interrupt this narrative of the vengeance of God. And then all of a sudden now we're reading about the loving kindness of God. What's up with that? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. First, again, it's that paradox. But second, it is when we face times like this, where we see the hand of God, the heavy hand of the Lord, if you prefer, that we would do well to remember the goodness of the Lord, because it's in those times that we tend to forget. And maybe I can say it like this, and I was thinking about this today, there is absolutely nothing wrong with not only remembering the goodness of God, but praying, Lord, remember when? What do you mean? Did God forget? No. (laughs) It's remembering the goodness of the Lord when He did that in the past, because here I am in the present and I'm facing this uncertainty in the future, And I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What was He like yesterday? Good. Loving kindness. What's He like today? Good. Loving kindness. What's He going to be like yet future? Good. Loving kindness. Do you see how I did that? I sure, can you just humor me and say that you got that? Because I don't know that I can do that again. And this is exactly what he's going to do now, as we're going to see next. So, verse 9, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Remember? Oh yeah, I do remember. What a beautiful description of who and how the Lord is. When we're afflicted, He's afflicted? Yeah. When we hurt, He hurts? Yeah. When we're suffering, He feels that suffering? Yes. How is that even possible? Oh no. He loves us in His love. 
so much. His pity, I, I, maybe other translations render it differently. I think that word for us in our day maybe kind of has a negative connotation, maybe better understood as He feels for us. He's sorry for us. And what's He going to do now when in our affliction He's afflicted in His love and in feeling for us? What's He going to do? Oh, He's going to redeem us. He's going to bear us up and carry us through. And key at the end of verse 9 is, as the days of old. In other words, I'm going to do for you what I've done for you in the past. I will do for you today, and I will always do for you yet future. Now, verse 10. Uh, I wish this verse wasn't here, but it is. But, you know this is going downhill, right? (laughs) They rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. Uh, There's uh, uh, yeah, I need to, I need to mention this parenthetically. There's grieving the Holy Spirit, and there's quenching the Holy Spirit, and we can do both. There's also blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which if you're asking whether or not you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't ask if you blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I'm really on a roll, aren't I? <laughs> Again, tell me you got that, because I don't know if I can repeat that. I think you get the point. So let's talk about this for a moment. I think we need to talk about this. Let's, let's talk about grieving the Holy Spirit first. I do want to talk a little bit about quenching the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Okay, this is going to get a little bit intense, but do you realize that the Holy Spirit indwelling you watches everything you watch, sees everything you see, hears everything you hear, uh, is involved in that conversation that you're having? And we can so grieve the Holy Spirit. Picture it like this. I hope this is a a good way to explain it. But picture the Holy Spirit just like, ah, no. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have God the Holy Spirit living in us. And we take Him everywhere we go, into every activity that we participate in. And oh, how often do we grieve the Holy Spirit? What about quenching the Holy Spirit? Well, for lack of a better illustration, just like putting out a fire. There's two ways to put out a fire. Neglect it, it'll go out. Pour water on it, you'll put it out. And so too are we also prone to do that with the Holy Spirit. We neglect, and the Holy Spirit can be quenched. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospels mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth. 